Welcome, fasting fitness friends. This podcast will be about sharing information and stories on fasting and fitness. Bill is a martial arts instructor, business owner, husband, and father. Lisa is a retired music educator, an ultra runner, singer, dancer, wife, and mom. We have both lost weight and found a healthier lifestyle combining intermittent fasting and fitness activities. We hope you'll join us as we share content that can help both mental and physical wellness. Please remember the information presented here is not to be taken as medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, and this week we are interviewing Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. Graham is an author and uh, intermittent faster for, I believe, two years now. Is that right, Graham? Yeah, it's just over three now, Bill. Oh, oh just over three. That's right. Um, and I was actually, uh, and Lisa's here as well. Hi, Lisa. How Hello. are you? Hi, everybody. So, um, Graham, I was just, just thinking about, uh, it was about five months ago that I was on your podcast. Um, and I had really, I was just at my six month mark and we chatted about kind of the progress that I made and how everything was going. So I've been following you since my very first day as an intermittent faster. And when I was in, uh, Jin's groups, uh, Jin Stevens group. So it's been really fun to follow you and your progress, uh, both before I started and after, uh, and, and kind of your, your new growth, um, your, your professional and, and personal growth beyond fasting. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to have some fun with this episode. So again, welcome to the Fasted Fitness Lifestyle Podcast, Graham. Thanks so much, Bill and Lisa. I'm very happy to be here. You're both inspiring people. Great, thanks. And I just want to mention, um, Graham, I think you are sort of responsible for Bill and I getting together uh, with this podcast because I remember listening to your podcast, Graham, with Bill. And I thought, oh, this is cool. He does, he has a karate school, yada, yada. And then I found Bill's um, community on Facebook. And then we both kind of had the same idea that we should team up because we were um, interested in people who do exercise along with their fasting. So thank you, Graham. No worries. Yeah, the snowball effect yeah. of intermittent fasting into the lifestyle and how it impacts our lives beyond just health and fitness uh, is one of the things that we really focus on. Uh, so, Graham, I know uh, you've told your story probably a million times by now, um, and, and I know for me, I never get tired of hearing it, and so I, I'm sure that for our listeners, it's the same. Would you mind telling us just a little bit about um, where you were before you started fasting and uh, kind of how you found out about fasting and how that process all started? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I guess for the listeners out there, I've been an obese guy all my adult life. Um, up to the age of 14, I was, I was relatively a normal sort of a kid, and then I sort of just kept growing and growing. And it didn't help that my parents bought a convenience store when I was 14, 15. And I spent three years of my life sitting in a storeroom eating all the wrong things, drinking gallons of Coke and chips and lollies and everything else. And I just I could feel myself physically growing. And I just got bigger and bigger and more obese I got, the more unhappier I became and through my teenage years. And, Roll the clock forward into my 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, a lot of partying, that sort of thing. Uh, 
you know, I used to love a drink and a party. I was a party boy. So that was a lifestyle I was sort of leading. And all the while, I was getting more obese, of course. And during that time, I developed some chronic addictions to uh, sugar, uh, fast food type, you know, drive through products, that sort of thing. And and it all sort of came to a head, really. Um, in late 2017, I was actually in Sydney and I'd had a week with my uh, relatives over the Christmas period. And after that week, I physically felt like I was going to blow up. And I mean that in all sincerity. I honestly thought I was going to explode. And I, I got onto an aircraft um, ready to come home to Perth, January the 1st, 2018. Never forget it. Seat 44G. Sitting next to my wife was taking up half of her seat. I couldn't get my seatbelt on. And it was highly embarrassing and nobody noticed because I used to always hide it from the flight attendant that I couldn't do that. But um, anyway, I decided, I don't know why, right at that point in time, just before we took off, I thought, I'm done. I have to get this weight off. I looked at my wife, who I was in love with very, very deeply, and I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. We both found each other later in our lives and it just dawned on me that I really need to get this weight off. And during that four hours, it's probably the first time I've ever been on a plane and I've done a lot of flying in my life that I never, I refused the meal service. Um, I just thought, no, I'm not going to have this food anymore. I'm just done with it. And anyway, I got off the other side. I got off, I went home, and then I started thinking about why am I obese? You know, what's this problem I have that I can't stop eating? Why am I going to the drive through so much? And then I realised I had an addiction problem I had to work through. So basically I stopped both of those things, cold turkey, right there. So the drive through things stopped. Uh, that was easy. I just didn't go there. Uh, I would go to work. Uh, I, I made sure my car had fuel. I wouldn't carry money on me because if I didn't have money, I couldn't stop at the drive through three or four wow. times. That's, that's how focused I was. Then the sugar, um, I researched that, what sugar was in food. I spent a lot of time looking at nutrition labels. I just cut that out. I went to the supermarket, spent a whole day there. And then really I just started reducing that. And I had three weeks of hell. It was like the worst withdrawal. I don't know what drug addiction withdrawal is like, but um, it was horrible. I even spent two days in bed. I had the doona over my head, just the classic voices screaming at me pain, the whole thing, mentally just tortured, couldn't sleep. And then I started coming out of that after two or three weeks and I started feeling better. I was eating better. And then I just milling around on the internet one day, I, I discovered this thing called one meal a day lifestyle. And my, my instant reaction to that was, what sort of lunatics only eat once a day? I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. Who does that? I mean, I'm a guy who was eating 30 times a day, right? And um, so then I stumbled onto Jim Stevens and uh, the Delay Don't Deny uh, book and then the Facebook community. And when I looked at that community, I thought, this is too good to be true. Look at all these people. Look at these testaments. You know, look at this thing. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, well, this is actually quite a simple process. All you've got to do is delay in the day what time you wait. And I'm already getting you know, better quality food into my system. So I felt like I had that side of it covered. And then I kicked off with the uh, intermittent fasting. Um, and so my protocol at the start, I decided for whatever reason, I was just going to do 23 and 1 because it suited me because I got home from work at 5 o'clock, opened my window. I would have a the classic restaurant style, one meal a day lifestyle. Uh, I would have an entree or a snack. Then I'd have a main meal. 
and then I'd focus on maybe some days having a dessert or I'd round out with a coffee and cream. But right from the very start, I'd already known from Jin's group and her books, I'm talking about Jin Stevens here, the New York Times bestselling author, that the clean fast was paramount. And by the clean fast, I mean black water, uh, sorry, black tea, uh, black coffee, water, plain sparkling water, plain green tea. So I had that down pat. That's all I had during my fast. And then my actual protocol was 23 and 1. And so I basically stuck with that right through the weight loss. And the first eight months, uh, I knocked off 100 pounds of weight. Uh, And then I came to a shuddering halt weight-wise, loss-wise. And then I sort of thought, well, okay, well, maybe my body's just saying, you know, I've had a rest. And just for the stats where I started, I should say that I'm 58, uh, six foot five guy. I'm pretty tall. Um, and when I started IF, I was around 360 pounds. I'm sure I was heavier than that in my life, but I never had a scale that could actually weigh me uh, at home. So I didn't know. But I remember when I did start, I did weigh and I was 360 pounds. So once I got that 100 pounds off, and I know this podcast, a lot of people that are into their fitness and, and exercise are listening to this. So I want to talk about my exercise regime during this time. Maybe you guys might want to have a few questions around that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before you start talking about your exercise, I just want to talk about you for a minute, Graham, because this we hear this a lot. People have that sort of aha moment or they have that moment of clarity where they go, this is it. I, you know, whether you call it a rock bottom or, or, whatever, but you got on that plane and you're like, I'm done. Like, I need to do something here. And I love, love, love that you're like, I love my wife and I want to be well enough to have a long, healthy life and love my wife and see my grandchildren grow up, that kind of thing. And I love that you just were like, today's the day. Like, you're not, you weren't going to wait till tomorrow. You just said, I'm going to start right this minute. And I think that is an amazing mindset. And I think it can be done. Some people think, oh, I got to start Monday. I got to start on the first of the month. But you were like, I'm starting now. So thank you for sharing that because that's that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I think uh, procrastination is an obese person's worst enemy. And we all, we've all done that, Lisa, and talked about, yeah, I'm going to get the weight off. I'll start next week, start next Monday. And, you know, every new year we see people flocking to gymnasiums and swimming pools and Right. I know at my my local swimming pool, um, the first two weeks of January were crazy. And you see you people there all the time and a lot of them are carrying weight and then all of a sudden they just drop off and um, yeah. they just, not the novelty wears off. But, yeah, I think procrastination holds us back. But the, the exercise side of it, um, I basically, when I was really obese, I found exercise a drag, right? I mean, I was carrying 360 pounds. I wasn't going to go out and run, run around the block or, and I was too embarrassed about my size to go to the local gym. And I just didn't want to go down there and be the fat guy that was struggling and that sort of thing in front of, you know, fit, generally fit people. And so I really thought about, okay, I've got over the sugar and fast food addiction side of it. Well, it was always there, nagging away at me, but I got past the mental aspect of that. Then I thought, well, okay, let's get the food right. So when we talk about our eating window, 
I like to refer to my eating window as a worthy window. So when I was eating once a day, I had the philosophy right from the start. If I'm going to eat once a day, it's going to be the highest quality food that I can possibly find. Mm-hmm. And that didn't mean that I denied every single food under the sun. It just meant that I ate good food. And I, we talk a lot about the mantra in intermittent fasting. You hear people say, oh, you can eat whatever you want during intermittent fasting. And for some people, that's true. But unfortunately, that wasn't true for me. Right. So I, I flipped that a little bit. And I sort of say I like to eat what makes my body feel the greatest. Yes. So now with the exercise, I the, the 100 pounds came off and all of a sudden I was doing more exercise, right, because I felt better. So I started walking on walking trails. And I'd always done a little bit of walking, but nothing long, sort of, you know, five, six, seven, eight kilometres or six, seven miles, whatever that is. And then I felt really great. And funny enough, one day I was out walking and I, I felt so good that I broke out into a jog. And I know a lot of people out there that are, you know, they're marathoners like yourselves and runners, and you're going to find this quite funny, but it was almost like the Forrest Gump movie where his calipers yeah. breaks. Yeah, and he starts running, right? And and I, I remember I was running and I thought to myself, hey, I can run. I can actually run. And I had these te- tears streaming down my face. Aww. And I really got into that groove of just that jog and I didn't want to stop and I felt amazing. I thought I can actually run a mile. You know, this is great. Yeah. Because I was quite fit by that stage. And in terms, I still had a bit to go, but I was fitter. And then I um, really started loving exercise. I was walking every day. I bought myself a rowing machine, um, the con- concept rower, fantastic. And then I really started getting into that. I was walking and I was doing like body exercises. And with losing that amount of weight, I thought I would have had a lot of loose skin. And, and luckily I didn't because I was so tall at six foot five. It wasn't as pronounced. I had a bit on my arms, which was worrying me. So I thought, how am I going to do that? So I bought some weights, started exercising with them. But, yeah, um, the exercise became an obsession for me and it's something I really love now. So I love this. So I can ima- I can just – I can picture you like doing a walk and saying, I'm going to run. And I can imagine that feeling that's because there are so many levels to that feeling because you've lost the weight. You sort of reinvented yourself and you're seeing yourself in a different way. And it's so beautiful. So tell us when you exercise, Graham, how does um, that fit into your fasting schedule? Do you eat after? Like, how does that work for you? Uh, no, normally I'm, I always exercise fully fasted. So I'll wake up in the morning. Um, generally, last year I was doing what's known as the 5 a.m. club, where I was waking at 5 o'clock every day. It was a 66-day challenge. There's a book by Rowan Sharma called The 5 a.m. Club. And I joined the group, and uh, the challenge was 66 days, get out of bed at 5 o'clock. And I found that so life-changing. I was able to do so many different things. Exercises, one of them, I could just fit everything in. So I had that time to contemplate, to sit and think about my day. I had that time to get organised and then I went out and exercised. And that's, I always did it fully fasted. Um, in the summertime, I was going to the local pool and I started swimming and I, I couldn't swim at all. Um, my, my adult life, I've never been taught to swim. And because I was so obese, I always struggled with swimming. And I took some lessons, and it was an Olympic-sized pool, 50 metres, um, as you see on the Olympics. And I remember the first time that I swam a full lap. Again, an emotional time for me. I remember crying in the pool, thinking about 
how magnificent this was that I could do one lap. And then I got up to the stage where I was doing 20 laps, 30 laps. And I was, I remember fully fasted one day, free balling through the water, 34 laps. And then they, they called me out because a school group was coming in and I reckon I could have probably done 50 that day. So 34 laps, is that like a mile? Do you know what the equivalent yeah, is? Because, 1,700 yeah, 1,700 meters. Wow. So the, another, okay, so there, there's so much here to unpack. So n- now you've been fasting, you've gave up your sugar addiction. I just want to also point out um, your discipline and you you set yourself up for success, like how you used to go to the drive through in the morning. So you changed your car route and you didn't take money with you. So yeah, that's a great technique. And then you're swimming. And so now you've, you went from 360 to 260 or less and you're in a pool swimming for an hour straight. That's um, and yeah. learning a new skill and learning a new technique. That's amazing. It was. And the other thing was that when I was really obese, I, I had a beach house for years, right? And I'd go to the beach. I'd never take my shirt off because I was so embarrassed. And I wouldn't go to the local swimming pool, which is just down the road from where I live, because I didn't want to walk around without a shirt on. I just, I was so body conscious about my weight and people looking at me. And when you're 360 pounds, and I was a big guy, I was massive, six foot five, 360. And they would look at me and, you know, and, you know, in, you could just see people cringing and that sort of thing. And I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And then when I got the weight off or 100 pounds and then I still had a bit to go, I started getting more of a swagger going. My confidence was going. My self-esteem was better. Oh, I'm going to just take my shirt off like everyone else. Nobody battered an eyelid, you know. And um, and then I got to that weight loss plateau. Uh, and the way I worked through that was that I um, – I just trusted the process. I didn't change anything. I just kept going. Uh, 23 and one fasting protocol. So 23 hours of fasting, a one hour period where I'd eat, I'd eat to satiety and stop. Whether that was 15 minutes or 40 minutes, I would stop when I was full. Okay. And then close my window. So eventually, once I started doing a bit more exercise and then swimming, the weight started moving a bit more. So I came to the end of that first year and I was down over 100 pounds by that stage. And then I went into the following year where I got the final 30-odd pounds off. So I ended up at 220 or 100 kilos here in Australia, we call that. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm getting kind of lean here and um, six foot five, 220, I feel pretty good. I'm, I'm happy with that. And I think my lowest I got down to was about 97 or 98 kilos around there. And I was getting pretty lean and I thought, no, I've got to stop. And so 132 pounds at this stage took me around 15, 16 months all up with the the sugar and the fasting. And I was hooked on fasting. I thought, I'm going to intermittent fast for the rest of my life here. This is the thing that works for me. I've tried a lot of things in my life. I'm not going to name the diets I was on because I don't want to give them lip service. But um, I tried basically a lot of things, but they were successful in terms of I'd lose weight short term but I'd always regain it and I could never keep it off. And one of the things I love about fasting, it's coming up nearly two years that I've kept that 132 pounds off and I've stayed in the maintaining range of around two to four pounds. And how I do that is, is I move to a protocol of 22 and two during the week, my working week. And then on the weekends, I open that up to a 16 and eight so that allowed me to bring some social aspect back into my fasting where I could go and have a brunch with my wife, that sort of thing. Right. 
That's amazing. So even though you're in maintenance, you're still fasting 20 hours clean and, um, or 22. And then on the weekends, you're still fasting, but it's a little bit more moderate. You're doing 16, eight, and now you've added exercise into the mix. And, and I know your story and it's, and oh, so here's the other thing you're, you said, I think you said you're 58. So you didn't start doing this till you were like 56, right? So people, it's never, ever, 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 ever too late to start a new thing, right? No, not at all. Uh, yeah, I was 55 when I started. And I always feel like, you know, um, that people do say that to me. I mean, a lot of people I mentor, they say, oh, you know, Graham, I'm too old to do this. I say, listen, here, yeah. we've got people in my fasting group that are, I've got a lady that's 84, right? She's lost uh, nearly 50 pounds in the last 12 months. She's 84 years old. And she's a shining light for people that, you know, when they say they're too old, it's like people get to a certain age and they start wearing clothes and they think, oh, well, you know, I'm too old to be able to wear those jeans or that shirt or whatever. And that's a lot of baloney. I mean, age is a number. And if you feel great and you've got that swagger and you, you feel okay about the way you look, then you can do it. It's not an age thing. Anybody can do intermittent fasting, whether you're 20 or whether you're 84. And it's just another excuse that obese people make. Right. And um, so another thing I was thinking, um, a lot a lot of people in our community were already maybe running or swimming or doing their exercise. And then they learned about intermittent fasting or started to incorporate it. You did it the other way around, which is very common. So you were, you, and in the beginning, you were like, I'm just going to do the fasting and get my food under control. And then you added in the exercise. So you were already fasting when you started exercising. So you didn't need to worry about eating ahead of time, eating right after. You just threw the exercise into your normal daily fast, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, that's right. And I always found with fast, uh, when I was fully fasted and exercising, I always found I had amazing energy. Yeah. And um, I never lacked energy. Like I could walk for miles, I could swim a long way, and I never felt like I was going to run out of steam or I felt flagged afterwards or anything like that. And I know a lot of people say, you know, you, you need all this food when you, you do exercise and stuff. But for me, I know that when I sometimes I did an evening walk because I felt good and I thought oh, I might go for a walk, but I might have already eaten that day. And I always remembered feeling not as great when I'd had something to eat in the evenings right. when I and I just that that sort of lag, you know, and. But when I was fully fasted, I never lacked energy and the big benefits of intermittent fasting. And and I want to stress that even though I lost a lot of weight, it's not about the weight loss, okay? Intermittent fasting is about health. It's the health benefits and it's what we call the non-scale victories. They are the prime reason that you should be looking at intermittent fasting, the health benefits. For me personally, they came quite early. Um, I had very bad psoriasis, which cured after three three months. It started fading, six months. Completely left my body. It was on my hands, elbows, knees, everywhere, and it left. Um, then other things, my eyesight got better. Um, my, just my vision was sharper. My mental clarity, the way I felt, uh, I had arthritis in my fingers. I'd wake up in the morning. I could hardly open my fingers, and I'd had that for 20, 30 years. After about six to 12 months of fasting, I no longer have any arthritic pain in my fingers. Um, my hair growth was thicker. The other thing that somebody said the other day, actually, which reminded me was about dandruff, right? 
I had very bad dandruff when I was obese. I mean, I'd, I'd sweep my hair back and it was like somebody would get plastered with a snowstorm. <laughs> and uh, now I, I don't have dandruff anymore. So there's all these things that the flaky scalp and all that, that's all gone away. That's great. Um, so, Graham, what, what do you do now for exercise? Are you, are you, do you have a daily fitness routine that you do or do you just kind of exercise however you know you do different activities all the time what are you doing yeah bill i i basically just more or less do what i was doing before mainly walking i do a lot of walking um and i move i make sure that i try to move every day i try to get in at least a 40 to 60 minute walk uh, brisk walking so i could probably walk as fast as most people can jog Mm. um i do because i'm so tall i've got long legs so i can really walk quite quickly and i do um, the other thing is I'll do a bit of the rowing machine. I probably don't do as much rowing as I'd like to. I'd like to get into that more because with the rowing machine, I felt like I was getting that all over exercise over my whole body. Um, I got some light kettle weights that I sort of do a few in the evening. Uh, funny enough, my wife bought one of those vibration plates and um, I, I'm a bit sceptical about that, but I actually stood on it for a few days and uh, it's amazing. I started feeling like I was toning up a little bit. I don't know why, but it might have just been my imagination. Great. Awesome. That's fun. I, I, I know you had asked me, um, I think it was when I was on your podcast, you'd asked me about push-ups. Um, and so I think I had challenged you to do, to like just do a daily, you know, just start first thing in the morning. You, you, know, you were in that 5 a.m. club, uh, which is way too early for me. But um, are you, do you still do like resistance training or just, just that rowing machine and the kettlebells? Do you have a morning routine that you do now or just throughout your day? Yeah, I try stuff? to do a few push-ups. I mean, obviously, when I was 360, a push-up for me was almost impossible. I just mm. didn't have the strength to do that. But funny enough, mm. I can actually do a few now. And I've taken a leaf out of your book, Bill, and I've watched your videos. Um, I find very inspiring and also your – I'm not sure I could do the hand claps in between like you do, but um, I certainly can do more than I used to. And I've listened to JJ, him talking about the resistance training. I mean, obviously, sometimes weather, you can't get outside and that sort of thing. I mean, not so much here in Australia, but for some of you guys in the southern states, it's been pretty ropey weather there. So, yeah, I, I have, and that's something I do want to do. The other thing I want to do is start the couch to 5K. Um, I got inspired by Michael Wright, who's one of your members here. I think he's doing it now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and Daniel mm -hmm. Deal. And, you know, when I see the guys like that were similar weights to me and um, a big shout out to Daniel Deal. He's an incredible guy and a big inspiration to me and his uh, exercise now is fantastic. Great. So, Graham, I know you have two daughters, and um, I'm not sure if they're at home or if they're at school, but how is the fasting fit with your family and your job and your life and those kinds of things? Yeah, we, my wife Lou and I, we have four adult children between us, and um, they don't live with us. They're all growing up. And um, so, yeah, for family and that, my family has always been very supportive, uh, particularly my wife, Lou, and I can't stress that enough how important it is to have a partner that's on board with what your lifestyle is. It makes it so much easier. And my family, at first, my daughters were like a bit sceptical. You know, my daughters are now 19 and 21, and they'd say, Dad, 
you sure that's healthy for you? Are you sure mm. that, you know, you should be doing all this? And funny enough, now my uh, 21-year-old daughter tells me that she's doing it as well. So oh, there you go. But, yeah, it fits in pretty good. That's awesome. Great. Great. Um, so, Graham, I want to kind of transition into talking about your book. And I want to start off by saying uh, I read your book. I bought your book. And the I don't buy very many hard copy books anymore. But yours was one that I just felt like I absolutely had to have uh, the physical copy of. So I ordered it through Amazon just a few weeks after you launched it. And I read it. And I... I there were parts of the book where I, it took me a while to read because I felt like I was reading uh, about my childhood and my life in certain parts of it. Um, and so it took me a little while to process some of it. Um, and so I just really appreciate you sharing and being open about that aspect and, you know, how bullying and, and how, how kids can be. And even now adults can be kind of, you know, the same way regarding that. Um, so it, it's an excellent book. If, any, if anybody listening hasn't read it yet, we highly recommend uh, The Fasting Highway by Graham Curry, obviously. And uh, it's just, it, you know, you, you didn't get super sciencey in it. You did give some information about, uh, so I you know, really enjoyed the information about the sugar content of food and stuff like that. So um, what I want to ask about your book is when when did you get to the point where you thought, hey, you know what, maybe I should put this in a book? Yeah, I guess, Bill, thank you so much for that, by the way. Um, really, after about a year, I was in maintenance and I was getting a lot of people sort of gravitating towards me. I was getting more and more messages from people looking for help and asking me questions about how I did it. The, the group that I was mentoring, um, my personal just circle before I started my own Facebook group was growing up to 40, 60, 70 people. And I thought, well, I need a document of some type just to put all my journey in there and what I did and that sort of thing. And so I thought I'd put it down on paper and I came up with the fasting highway because I always felt like I'd been on a road trip with my diet and you know health in general. I'd always run into some wrong ends and gone down no exit roads and that sort of thing. And now with intermittent fasting, I felt like I was on this freeway where I had no, no roadblocks, no traffic lights, and I was cruising with the top down and this lifestyle was just so wonderful. And the other thing is I'm particularly fond of road trips, uh, especially in America. I've, I've done quite a few in the US, so I titled it The Fasting Highway. The thing I didn't want to write about was the science of intermittent fasting because there's any number of books. And, I mean, let's face it, I'm not going to second-guess Dr. Fun um, and some fantastic New England Journal of Medicine papers by Dr. Mark Madsen, one Google scholar, um, you know, search for intermittent fasting science, you'll have 50 research papers in 0.2 of a second. So what I wanted to write about was living the journey. And I thought, well, if I can put it all down and, and let people know that there is hope that even if you're 360 pounds, you can do this, give them some motivation to start, show them how I did it, what I needed to do, and just put a sort of comprehensive sort of journey down there on paper that people could follow easily. I made it simple my whole philosophy around intermittent fasting is keep it as simple as possible. And I hope I relayed that in the book because for me, fasting is you're either feasting, <clears throat> excuse me, or you're fasting, right? There's two aspects to the day. There's no overcomplication. That's what I do. I fast for a period of time, then I eat to satiety and I stop and I eat a quality worthy window. 
And I don't need to complicate that any further for myself. And I know people try everything and they do different protocols and all that, and that's great. But for me, the simpler you keep it, the easier it is to become a sustainable lifestyle for the long term. Because when you overcomplicate it and keep chopping and changing things, when you necessarily might not need to do so, particularly if you start intermittent fasting and after one week you say, right, this isn't working. I'm going to do ADF or I'm going to do something else or I'm going to do MADF. And then these people jump into these really long fasts and they think that that's what they have to do. We're really, you need to give this time. And that's my message in the book. Patience will pay and take your time. Don't be in any hurry. There's no prize to who gets the most weight off. You just got to do your own race, your own journey. And I hope that the information that I give in my book um, does help people. Oh, I think it's very helpful. I'm just looking at the reviews on Amazon and they're like, everybody is saying it's a fabulous book and it's helpful and they're giving it to their friends. And so Graham, that was, you know, it was great. You put it in a book, but you know, it's, it's a little bit of opening yourself up and being vulnerable by sharing some of those stories. And I, I think it's really, really loving of you to pay it forward like that. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not easy. It's mentally yeah. challenging. Uh, it took me some time. Some chapters of that book that Bill referred to about my childhood, my school years were very tough. Um, I was bullied mercilessly, really, at school. And really, my school life at high school was like a UFC fight every day. I had to fight for survival. I was always, I used to watch Bruce Lee movies. Bill would love this. I used to watch Bruce Lee movies, um, Chuck Norris, all the sort of classic sort of, you know, those sorts of movies just to learn. I used to watch Muhammad Ali box. I used to watch boxers fight because I needed to learn how to fight to survive. And really, I had a lot of fights at school. Some I won, some I didn't. But if I didn't, I would have just been pummeled every day because of my size. Because when I was in high school, there wasn't a lot of really obese kids. And that was in 1975 to 1977. There was a few, but there wasn't a lot. And so these bullies just took it on themselves to do that. So, yeah, my, my school years were hell and I couldn't wait to leave the place. And I left school the day I was 15. I never went to any tertiary education place after that. I was self-made, never been unemployed in my life. And uh, I had that mindset that I wasn't going to let that stop me. And, you know, and I think when one thing people talk about obesity, right, and what we got to understand is obesity is a disease. It's mm -hmm. a pandemic. Okay. So we're going to have to stop this pandemic somehow. How are we going to do it? Is intermittent fasting the answer? Well, I think it is, but whether it can go mainstream enough to actually stop the, the companies pouring in the, the the sugar and all that sort of thing. Well, I don't want to sound like a sugar evangelist here, but and I don't judge anybody for what they eat. I want to make that quite clear. Um, what you eat is your business. Uh, how you What you put in your body is your business. But all I can say is once I flip the switch from eating a lot of sugar and a lot of processed foods, everything else changed and it changed my life. Yeah, that's amazing. So let me ask you, when you met your wife, Lou, um, were you large then? Like, did she meet you at... A large yeah, I was, and uh, oh wow, I was pretty self-conscious about that too. I remember going on the the date with Lou the first time I met her. We, we arranged to meet, and uh, I was so nervous. I thought she's, the, I mean, Lou's a gorgeous woman, and uh, I rocked up, and I couldn't believe how beautiful she was. And I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to get a second date with this woman. She's outrageously beautiful, you know. Anyway, we we headed off. We had a great time and chatted, and, and obviously the rest is history. We we met, fell in love, and. 
and married. And um, Lou was never worried about my weight. She never once ever said to me, you're too heavy or you're too chubby or whatever. And we always had a pretty good life together in, um, in all, all marriage ways. And But that obviously improves when you lose a lot of weight too. And I'll have to say, I'll, I'll, I'll be remiss of me not to say as a man that my libido has always been very good. But with intermittent fasting, it really supercharged it. Yeah, and I was going to ask that. I didn't know if you guys felt comfortable, but I think I think we need to have this conversation about non-scale victories. When you're a large person and then you become more healthy, it improves for everyone, women as well, let me say. And um and so um in the marriage, obviously she loved you when you were big and I know you talk about this, but you're like you're like a, a hot swagging man there. Now you're like different and, and how does she feel about that? Is she adjusted to it? Because you look so different. Yeah, I do. And uh, I guess I used to lie there at night, right? And I'd think to myself, I wonder what Lou thinks about this. It must be really weird for her to roll over in the middle of the night and cuddle someone that's 132 <laughs> pounds less. And Lou used to say to me that sometimes she used to get frightened because it felt like somebody <laughs> else was lying next to her. And that's that and that's true. And I remember I'd be walking down the street and you know, and and woman would actually say hello to me. And I look yeah. at them and I think, you would never have said hello to me when I was 360 pounds ever. Yeah. And now they were. And I was, and that's the whole thing. I talk about that a bit in my book about how differently I started getting treated as a normal looking person to an obese person. And, and I hear a lot of people say, oh, that's because when you're obese, you exude a different sort of, um, you know, confidence and it's the way you carry yourself. And, and that's a load of BS because people are just rude and they treat obese people so differently. In, fa in fact, I saw that in a clothes store the other day, an obese person basically got ignored and they were waiting to get some help and the, and the, the service staff were running, were ignoring them because they didn't want to have the conversation that, hey, there's not really clothes in here that could fit you. Mm. And I've, I, when I was obese, right, I was in a clothes store and a guy said to me, a, a very high-end expensive suit store in Sydney, Armani, and um, he said to me, we don't have anything in here that's going to fit you. And I thought, right. When I lost that 100 and whatever pounds, I went into that store and I was so going to do the Julia Roberts thing on that guy. Uh -huh. and, uh, <laughs> Pretty and woman. I was, oh, yeah. And, I had, and I'd, I'd been saving up, right, and I was going to go in there and he wasn't going to get one cent. And unfortunately, he wasn't there. Oh. And, but I know now that when I – even just going into shops or in general, I mean, I've always been a very polite person. I've always said, please, thank you. I'm always a friendly, happy-go-lucky guy, even when I was obese. I was well-known as a lovable party guy, um, always, you know, great word for everybody. So I didn't really have – I don't buy that you had a different sort of outlook or you used a different confidence when you were obese to what you are now. It's just people are rude. Yeah, amazing. What this, I'm sorry, go ahead, Bill. This is such a, yeah. a mar remarkable story. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, it really is a remarkable story. And I think anybody who's been overweight or obese, every single one of us has experienced that on some level. Um, I know that I have and, you know, shop, whether it's shopping in a clothing store or just even, you know, looks and remarks from people passing you and you, you really can't just brush it off as well, you know, my, my energy or my, you know, the fact that I'm obese and I'm not confident because I'm obese makes people 
want to avoid me. It's just, there really are, there's a stigma of, against overweight people and obese people. And in order to, in order to change that, we have to, you know, we we have to promote the, you know, the uh, positive self-image theory as well, right? We, people should really love who they are and loving who you are doesn't mean that you don't need to change and you don't need to take care of yourself. Loving who you are means that you should love yourself enough to want to, like you said, you loved your wife so much that you wanted to uh, you know, get yourself healthy so that you could live with her. And we need to love ourselves that much as well. We need to really love who we Absolutely. are so that we want yeah, to be the other, healthy. The other thing here, and we, I think we all can agree to this, a lot of people are, over, are overweight and it's not their fault. It's not because they're weak. It's because there's yes. all this processed food. There's the old school dogma about you got you to gotta eat breakfast. You got to eat three times a day and snacks. You got to count calories, calories in, calories out. And that is, it's not that simple. I'm not saying it's not at all correct, but it's more about hormones and insulin. And Graham, you were lucky enough to do, to use your brain and do some research and be proactive. And you found intermittent fasting. And I just spoke with Lori Lewis the other day and the same kind of thing where she stayed up all night looking for some other kind of way out of the weight gain. And so a lot of people feel like they're weak or they have a bad character or it's their fault that they just don't try hard enough, but it's not their fault if they're, if they're doing the traditional calories in calories out. So it's very important that we are helping to educate people about the benefits of intermittent fasting, not just for weight loss, obviously, but for good health. So thank you. Yeah, totally agree. Um, the thing is, as I mentioned before, obesity is actually a disease, okay? We're in, a, we're in an obesity pandemic. It's not an yeah. epidemic. It's a pandemic. It's sweeping the world. So when we talk about obese people, the first thing people will look at someone who's obese, they'll think they're lazy. They yeah. think they're stupid. They think they don't have any willpower. They think they, they just don't have any control. But here's the thing. We have some of our world's leaders in trade, industry, politics, some of the wealthiest people in the world, billionaires, they are morbidly obese. Are they lazy? Are they stupid? Are they have no self-control? Do they not have no work ethic? Of course not. They just are swept up in the same obesity pandemic because it is a pandemic and obesity is a disease. And when people look at people, they should not judge them and think that person has no willpower or they have no control because the fact is, that some of the most successful people, doctors, you name it, specialists, how many times have you gone to a doctor or a specialist and they're carrying an enormous amount of weight? And those people have studied for years at university, highly intelligent people, mm-hmm. writers, you name it. And obesity is not sort of in one box. So it's important to remember. And the point Bill made about loving yourself first is mm-hmm. so important. I want to mention that because loving yourself first is, to me, the number one pillar and foundation around mindset and intermittent fasting. If you can't love yourself first, you cannot love what you do. And once you start learning to love yourself first, talk to yourself in a positive manner every day, the whole world will change for you. When I was obese, I did not talk about myself in a positive way. I did not see my image as a positive image. 
Now I've learned by loving myself first, I'm then not in an egotistical way, but in a way that I have respect for my body and what I do, I'm then able to share that love to everybody around me so I can help others. And that's the most important. Yeah, and you are. You're helping so many people. And and with that being said, so especially for women, you need to love yourself no matter what size you are because your weight does not define you. And the other thing is you should never, ever, ever look at intermittent fasting as a chore or a punishment. You should be like, oh, I get to do this. I get to take care of myself. And it should be looked at as a positive way to take care of yourself. Yeah, 100%. And um, I think, as I mentioned before, you've got to think about intermittent fasting, not just as a, a silver bullet or a quick fix to get the weight off. You've got to think about it as a lifestyle change. And once you start doing it, you're never going to want to go back to anything else because you're going to feel so great. And you just, the main thing is, I see it over and over in various groups, people in such a hurry. You need to give this lifestyle six to 12 months and then make a full evaluation and a critique then. Do not stay after two weeks, I've lost no weight, it's not working. Because you need to get adapted, you need to give it time. So you need to trial things. And if it's not working after a few weeks, and maybe, yeah, change it up, see what's going on, or busting through weight loss plateaus. I mean, weight loss plateaus, okay? So there's three certainties in life, death, taxes, and weight loss plateaus. <laughs> And that's, and that's true. And, and when it comes to weight loss plateaus, I always say to people, look, you can do one or two things. You can trust the process and just keep doing what you're doing. Are you feeling great? Yeah, I'm feeling fantastic. Okay, we'll keep doing what you're doing and see. Change up. The first place to look is your eating window. What am I eating in that window? Am I overeating? Are the foods? Do I have to delay something? Is it alcohol? Is it bread? Whatever it may be that might not agree with your DNA and your body and everybody is different. For me, if I so much as look at a bread bakery shop, I will put on weight because bread and me don't get on. So I know that I don't eat a lot of bread. Alcohol, beer doesn't get on with me. So when I was losing the weight, I thought, well, I love a beer. I love a party. I'm a party guy. What am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'll go to a party, but I won't drink beer. I'll drink vodka and soda. So different drink, way less calories, way less damage. So you always can find an alternative, and it's the same with food. If you love a certain food type, there's an alternative there. Like if somebody had said to me that I would have been eating avocados now three years ago, I would have laughed in your face because I thought only weirdos ate avocados, right? And now I know I love them and I know how great they are for you. And when I sometimes open my window and I have that feeling I'm going to eat everything in sight, then an avocado is great because it's higher in fat and it just takes yeah. that edge off when you open your window. Right. A lot of people talk about that. That uh, That's a good source for opening your window, either like avocado or like an olive with cream cheese. And I just want to um, point out that we don't, we don't, um, you know, say that any special way of eating here, you know, everyone can eat whatever they need. It's bio-individuality. But like you just said, you, <laughs> I'm the same way. You just look at a piece of bread and you gain weight. Like that's me. I just like look at a cookie and I blow up. So like Bill talks about, you can eat however you want, but it should be specific to your goal. So if you eat bread and the next morning you wake up and you're all puffy, then that's that's your choice. But So it's within reason you can pretty much eat what you think you need to, right? 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's important for people for it to be sustainable. It cannot be a chore. I mean, if, if you love sugar or you love bread or you love whatever, eat it. If that's what you love. But just remember, if it's not working for you, you may have to delay it for a bit just till you get to your health goals and then try to work out how you're going to incorporate it in a maintaining lifestyle. Because it's like me on the weekends now, I have a 16 and 8 window. So I've I've geared it up from 23 and 1 when I was doing the weight loss to now having an eight-hour window two days a week. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking on a lot more fuel. I'm having two meals. I go out for brunch, and I love that. And that's what my maintaining schedule now, I just love it because it allows me to do that. And if I want to be flexible during the week, and I was just in Sydney for the last week, um, and I was walking past the opera house, nobody there, and beautiful uh, eateries that you could never get in because it was always booked out. And they were virtually asking people to come in. And I thought, you know, I'm going to support this business. I'm going to open my window early today. I'm going to be flexible about it. So so when you go on vacation, don't stress. Um, Go and enjoy your vacation. You know, you tend to do a lot more movement on vacation. You walk, you do more activities, that sort of thing. So don't freak out. And there's a we say Saturday isn't a special occasion, but unfortunately most special occasions are on a Saturday. (laughs) <laughs> and some, some things, you just move around your window a bit to suit they that are. particular occasion. I just want to ask quickly, um, Graham, um, how is your appetite? Uh, did you have the appetite correction that a lot of people talk about? Oh, definitely. Um, that came probably maybe oh, not far into it really, Lisa, because I, I was a guy who had a massive appetite, right? right. We, we, I was at a level of fast food addiction where I was visiting a fast food store four or five times a day. Wow. In the course of my day, well, twice in the morning, once at lunchtime, maybe a couple of times on the way home if I was lucky. I just I had no off button with it. So my appetite was huge. I could eat all day, every day. But then I started correcting that. And once I got into about the first three months of intermittent fasting, I got to a point where I really couldn't eat past that satiety feeling. I just had that automatic sigh, aha mm-hmm. moment. I'm done. I'm, I'm done and dusted for today and close my window. So, yes, it did come fairly early for me. Great. So do you think you'll keep on swimming? You think you'll keep on with the walking? And how's your uh, training going for your 5K? What's going on with that? Yeah, I'm going to do all that. Um, well, I'm only really doing the walking and a couple of light jogs at the moment. So I really have to sit down and listen to the app and the, the couch to 5K and work it out how it all goes. But that is a goal of mine to do that. I also want to do some 40-kilometre or 25-mile hikes in New Zealand. Um, when we're allowed to go, go across there from Australia, that's my, my goal. I want to start training for some very long hikes um, in oh, some yeah. rugged terrain. So New Zealand's got some of the most beautiful walking tracks in the world, and um, that's my goal. Is I've always wanted to do it, but when I was obese, um, it just wasn't possible. Yeah, so you'll have to keep us posted because, you know, our podcast and our community is about fitness. And, boy, would we love to see you do a 25-mile hike. After everything you've accomplished, that would be amazing. Ah. Yes, it would. Um, uh, And so, Graham, I really I want to be super respectful of your time. We appreciate you. And, you know, just uh, I could sit here, and I'm sure Lisa could too. We could just sit here and talk to you all night long. Um, but we're, we're coming up on close to an hour here. So I want to make sure we wrap up pretty soon here. Um, but what is, you know, I love the name, the fasting highway. And you talked about that a little bit earlier and how you came up, came about that. 
what's your next uh, what's your next stop on your road trip yeah well, as you know i highway. developed the, the podcast the fasting highway um i'm just about to put my 50th episode of that out today i've interviewed probably about 65 people now that's been a, a real thrill for me as you guys will find talking to different people on your podcast it's very inspiring listening to it um so my next step probably is i will write a second book um it's going to be oh. a bit different to the first so stay tuned for that but it will involve fasting and maybe life after obesity more around the health benefits and the non-scale victories and the people i talk to um i haven't i am making a documentary called the fasting highway funny enough oh. uh with an, with an australian filmmaker we started that uh prior to covid um we were going to the us last year to work on that I was booked to go in June to South Carolina to um, meet up with Jen Stevens and go on a cruise to the Bahamas uh, with some of her fasting community, but obviously COVID scuttled that. So the plan was to interview some people, um, high-profile people in the fasting community and also people that I interview on my podcast. Um, that will be my next step. Um, so as soon as the United States is uh, clear for travel for us and um, I'm up there and we're going to finish this documentary and get it out. And also um, I'm probably looking more into going into some maybe coaching type of role or something like that, because I think my career path is probably going to morph that way. Yeah. I think you would be a fantastic, fantastic coach, Graham. I think that would be a great next step for you. Yeah, I hope so, Lisa. And um, I know I'm already probably been doing that for the last 12 months. A lot of people and I get such joy from it when I see their results. And once you see people's lives changing in front of you and it's a reinforcement of what you're doing, then it's great. But there's so many ways like you guys are doing, sharing your podcasts. And I'd urge everybody, share without fear, as Jin says, um, you know, get out there and spread the message. And I'd really love to see intermittent fasting go more mainstream uh, with doctors in particular. We're seeing more of them get on board now and, and I think we're going to, you know, hear about intermittent fasting. And nobody sort of bats an eyelid now. When three years ago, I remember there was a lot of kickback about intermittent fasting, but you're not hearing it as much. So to me, it's getting more accepted. Great. Fantastic. Well, Graham, thank you so much for taking time out of your, I know your super busy schedule. Um, and I'm just glad that it worked out timing wise for us to get together and be able to have this chat. Uh, it's been a lot of fun reconnecting and, you know, best of luck on everything that you have coming up. It sounds like a really exciting uh, couple of years for you coming up. Hopefully we get out of this, uh, COVID pandemic soon. So that yeah, we can I hope so, Bill. And I just wanted to pandemic. quickly say, um, I want to congratulate yourself and Lisa on what you're doing. I thank your own groups and your the podcast that you're both doing are great and I've listened to them and I'd really urge people to get behind you and, and everything that you do as well. Great. Thanks. So, so Graham, where can people find you and your book before you. we close? Just tell us quickly. Sure. Please. Uh, well, I can get my book on Amazon. Uh, it's in both Kindle and paperback. Uh, you can also, if you're in Australia or New Zealand, uh, you can go direct to my website, uh, www.thefastinghighway.com. And find me on Instagram at GrahamCurry underscore 63. And okay. you can also join my Facebook group, The Fasting Highway. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see you there. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, have an awesome week. Thanks, and everybody. we will talk to you next no time. Worries. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for this podcast. Please come back next week. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to be a guest on our podcast, please email us at fastedfitnesslifestylepodcast at gmail.com. That's one word, fastedfitnesslifestylepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can message us at our Facebook community, The Fasted Fitness Lifestyle. Please join our Facebook community because we would love to support you and hear your thoughts. So be well, everyone. Continue to fast on, continue your fitness, and we'll see you back here soon. Thanks.